something tells me this is gonna be the intro to the show. So, uh, the. Here's the V Girl! All you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 218 of the SLS cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this would be the U.S. House of Representatives majority episode of the SLS cast. Because it turns out that as of 2008, the number of votes required in the United States House of Representatives to achieve a majority is 200 and 18. And with that wonderful little bit of governmental knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident employee, Sony employee. Tim, our resident employee. I've always well, wanted you to be are one that of as well. It's not just for Sony, it's for us as well. The resident chump. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know. I thought about you last night, Matt. Was this before or after you used the lotion and Kleenex? That was after. Uh, this pronoun... <laughs> <laughs> and I need to... Okay, I need to refresh myself. I found a little tongue twister, and I know you're into doing things with your tongue, and so I thought a tongue twister might be uh, something fun to do on the show. And um, I, are you good at tongue twisters? Not necessarily tongue twister, but saying two words that are... Similar in sound, but vastly different in meaning. Are we talking like buffalo, 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 buffalo? Well, no. I mean, well, it's kind of like fork, you know, like fork, fork, fork. If you say fork about 50 times in a row, it just sounds so damn weird. No, I am talking about (laughs) a snatchy schnitzel. A snatchy schnitzel, huh? Yes, of course. A... Snatchy schnitzel. Can you say a snatchy schnitzel ten times fast? A snatchy schnitzel ten times fast. Ha <laughs> No. Um. Let's see here. I. I guess we can give it a good old. Give it the old good old college try. Snatchy schnitzel. Snatchy schnitzel. Sna- nope. Can't do it. Got yeah. you. Got me. It's like a snatch. Snatchy schnitzel. In yeah. a schnitzel. Yeah. You know. That is, that is, and, and, and where did we come across or think up this lovely term of the snatchy schnitzel? Me and the significant other, we went to a German restaurant to watch the, uh, the basketball game, the football game, the Super Bowl yesterday, and not a lot of people were there. So we met up a couple friends of mine from work and we were there drinking a bunch of beer. They had something called kegs and eggs. Pay twenty nine bucks, you get a sausage, potatoes with onions and eggs, and then all the beer you can drink between one p.m. and three thirty, right before the game. So of course we were drinking our German beers, our our ooh, what were we having? Our dunkels, and eventually I got my Cluster on decks, which is my all time one of my all time favorite German beers, brewed by monks, which is 
absolutely lovely. Uh, it's a beer that's been brewed by monks for hundreds of years, which is pretty cool. But uh, so after drinking and then going somewhere else after the game to drink some more, I, I don't know if we were talking about snatches and then schnitzels like separately because we were at a German restaurant and we really didn't have a schnitzel. They don't even offer schnitzel on the menu. And I think we were in the car, and I think the significant other was just kind of talking about snatchy schnitzels. I, I guess that's just kind of how it came up. It, it's one of those things. You know, it's just one of those things. Well, that is a a fascinating story, and I am glad that we got to hear it. I think that tone in your voice really <laughs> speaks volumes that it was not a... Hey, you asked me for the snatchy schnitzel story, and I gave you it's, it, the okay. snatchy schnitzel. You know how whatever. how sometimes the anticipation, like you know, the wonderment, if you will, the sheer imagination that goes into thinking and and wanting to know where such a catchy term comes from. You just build it up. So much, and then when you find out how simple it was, oh well, me and the girlfriend were out at the other, out at a bar. But we and, weren't even drunk either. Home, and we just kind of talked about schnitzel, and sometimes it's a snatchy schnitzel, and you know, it, it just it. I mean, I, it's my fault, Tim. It's not your fault. It's mine. I built it up too much in my own mind. Hey. Son of a bitch. I didn't promise you anything. <laughs> well. So, snatchy schnitzel. Teach your kids that. I'm sure they're going to want to know what a, a, a snatch and a schnitzel is. Or schnitzel. Sh- not a, God damn it. Snatchy shit. <laughs> oh. See, that's another thing. I then mean, you start saying, I'd have just liked to hear you say this over and over again for the last three or four minutes. That would have been perfect, you know. A shizzle. <sighs> snatchy schnitzel. Whatever. For shizzle, my schnitzel. So did you watch the football game yesterday, the Super Bowl, the big game? I I did. Did you not see my post on Twitter and or Instagram and or Facebook? I totally did, but refresh my memory. Um, work was so fucking shit-tastic, I got off work at 519. That's how dead we were. I made $42 yesterday. Really? Yeah. Did people just like so, stop buying pizzas? For the pizzas? first time in nine years, for, for, well, I think because it was in town, everybody and their goddamn brother was, you know, at the NFL experience, at, uh, you know, the, at, at downtown, they were at the fucking stadium, they were at tailgating, they were, you know, all that kind of sh- shit. So, consequently, they weren't, uh, they weren't, uh, at home to order the pizza. So you got um, to go home, uh, watch the Super Bowl. I did. I for the first time in like nine years, I got to watch the entire Super Bowl. Did you watch Lady Gaga fly? Well, I wouldn't call it flying so much as mainly she looked like a cat trying style. to jump out of water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although the drones were cool, the drones they had flying behind her, the three hundred drones to make it, uh, you know, do the whole American flag thing. That was pretty cool. Those were drones, huh? I had no idea. Yeah. Really? And then they had them fly and turn into, like, the Pepsi logo at the end or whatever. Oh. Bitchin'. That would actually make me want to buy a Pepsi. I'm going to have this Pepsi with my schnazzy 
snazzy or whatever it's called. I forgot. What, your snatchy schnitzel? There you go. Well, it sounds like we both had an invigorating Super Bowl Sunday. (laughs) Yes, we totally have not wasted the last seven and a half minutes of airtime at all. Uh, well, what do you say? We've got, you know, we've actually got a pretty full mail sack this week. Do, do, do you want to, do you want, should we unload it? Do it. I want you to unload it all over my snatchy schnitzel. For shizzle, my schnitzel. <laughs> that's, that's going to be my go-to phrase for a little while. and Then you'll forget about it. Only, and... only you and the people who listen to this show are going to know why I'm saying it. So. <laughs> it's okay. It's, that, It'll be a hashtag. <laughs> we'll, we'll get it to trend on Twitter. Uh, you know. All right. Well, let's see here. So um, it looks like we have got a whole bunch of new followers here. I Counting one, two, three, four, five. We actually have six Six new followers. I'll tell you, it's feast or famine over here at the SLS cast. Um, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can, of course, do so by following us at the SLS cast. Um, and let's see here. First up, we have two guys and a movie. Yes, it's at two guys underscore podcast. It says here that we're two guys who love talking about movies and random stupid shit. Yes, this, this absolutely has become um, you know, look, it's clones of the SLS cast at this point, or or we're clones of them. I'm I'm not. I don't know who came first, but this is uh, yeah, interesting. We now have Rick and Paul heal the world. Yes, this is Rick and Paul of at Rick and Paul, all one word there for you. Comedy podcast, be it plague, pestilence, or wasps. At Rick Alden, Paul, and you. Offer opposing solutions. Yes. Uh, let's see here. We also have Jake A. Carlson is following us now, and that's at Jake A. Carlson. Uh, turns out that this uh, wonderful person is a 9-to-5 dropout podcaster, speaker, and leadership mentor, as well as an adventure junkie and host of the Family Before Fortune podcast. Uh, let's see here. Then we've got Dat's Life, D-A-T-S, Dat's Life, and they are, of course, at Dat's Life Podcast, all together there. Dat's Life is a podcast made up of best mates Dave and Tom. Uh, moving quickly to Harrison Scott. Yes, at Real Harrison, capital S here. Real, at Real Harrison S. Host, producer of at the Metalworks podcast and vocalist for the metalcore band Circle Pit, as well as a comedian and U.S. Army veteran. That's right. Wow. We are getting vast. all of these amazing people. Yes, vast, vast, uh, you know, talent here. And then finally, we have the last 10 minutes, which would be at TLTM podcast. Yes, we've got, uh, at WSE bag and at Sean Y. Jonesy 86. Watch the last 10 minutes of films they haven't seen and try to work out what happened in them. That actually sounds pretty interesting. I, I, um, think that's pretty, that's a pretty noble cause. And probably something that would be pretty funny, especially if they get it, like, amazingly wrong, but also pretty cool if they get it, like, amazingly right. So. That's pretty fun. So thank you all of these wonderful people and shows who have decided to give us a good old follow. That is awesome of you. And again, you as well can follow us at the SLS cast on 
Twitter. So, we do happen to have, however, an email. An actual email, as it were. Uh, and, of course, if you want to send us an email, you can do that by sending an email to the show at slscast.com. And we have our resident emailer, Diana. She says, uh, and the subject here is Life Animated. She says, hi guys. Okay, so I just saw Life Animated and must thank you for bringing up this film in your podcast. I just love Owen. He reminded me of how much the child we were is still alive and important to keep life joyful. Also, I agree with Tim in that it's perfect. It's real in its changing emotional tone and open-ended like life itself. Makes me want to follow Owen's journey farther and wish for him to be his own superhero. So, Matt, take another look and see that Owen is living beyond spouting Disney phrases and managing his own life pretty well in his 20s. I remember being pretty irresponsible and emotionally unstable in my 20s, so I think he's doing an exceptional job. Uh, oh, and the French phrase you two were looking for was je ne sais quoi. Spelling approximate, translated loosely, loosely to that certain something when reviewing The Man Called Uve. It's a five-buck movie, by the way, on iTunes, probably due to the Oscar nomination. Thanks for warming my cold February weekend, Diana. All right, so we're going to work this one backwards a little bit here. So um, I, I read this email, and I realized, because I was listening to the show yesterday, and I happened to catch the email on Saturday. So I listened to the show yesterday, and Diana, I must apologize because I I did know what that meant. I was trying to do a, a apparently a very poor impersonation of Doctor Evil, who says that line in the movie, which is what makes it so funny because he says it's what the French call that certain I don't know what, and then of course we know that that means je ne sais quoi, which is basically I don't know what, um, in French. So. I I boxed the joke. I'm glad that you at least knew what it meant because now you know that the joke from Austin Powers was funny 20, 20 years ago uh, and not when I did it last week. Uh, going back to life animated, though, <laughs> um, I, I I stand by my I stand by it, madam. I stand. I am resolute um, because. While I certainly, I wholeheartedly agree with what you and Tim were saying um, about what it meant and everything, and, and I wasn't, and I and, and I wasn't trying to take that away from the movie. That, um, I, but I do think that while he is kind of, um, while he is doing certain things uh, really, really well, I, I still don't. I still don't see the longevity of what the Disney films have um, to do in terms of bringing Owen his personality and giving Owen his humanity. Um, that is a powerful thing, and it's not anything to take lightly, and it's certainly not anything I'm trying to take away from the film. But while it grants him his humanity, it doesn't necessarily empower him uh, to be able to truly deal with the rest of what life is going to throw at him. And that's where I felt that the movie um, didn't do as good of a job as I think that it could. Um, it's not to say that he won't be able to do it or that he can't or um, that or, or anything in that vein. I just think that that should have also been something that was looked at as a springboard towards, you know, say the last just 10 or 15 minutes of the movie. Um 
So, yes, so that's where I'm at. I, I am sorry that, um, I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree. But Tim, what do you think? Diana's backing you. She's got you. She's, she's in your corner. She's got your back. What do you think? Thank you. She knows that I need it. <laughs> <laughs> so, with that, we are now out of the emails and all that kind of wonderful stuff. So, um, shall we go ahead and get into the news, sir? Yes, please. All right, then. Look out, folks. It's time for the news. <laughs> And uh, to start us off, from independent.co.uk, by way of Jacob Stallworthy, Avatar 2, filming to start now that Avatar 5 has finished being written. You heard that right. Having been hard at work on its, quote, overwritten, end quote, sequels, uh, his words, for six years now, uh, James Cameron has finally completed work on all four follow-ups to the 2009 box office record-breaker, Avatar. Cameras are set to begin rolling on Avatar 2 this August, kickstarting characters Jake and Natiri's quote, battle with humans, end quote. The filmmaker told the Daily Beast, quote, the thing is, my focus isn't on Avatar 2. My focus is on Avatar 2, 3, 4, and 5 equally. That's exactly how I'm approaching it. They've all been developed equally. I've just finished the script to Avatar 5. I'm now starting the process of active prep. I'll be working with the actors in the capture volume in August, so I'm booked in production every day between now and then. Uh, end quote there. There's actually an, a whole nother quote and the rest of the article here. Now, as um, And I do encourage you to check out that article, again, from independent.co.uk, by way of Jacob Stallworthy, Avatar 2, filming to start now that Avatar 5 has finished being written. Um, okay, we know this stuff has been in, you know, quote-unquote production for the better part of eight years now. Um, well, okay, let's say seven years. Seven years now, and my question is... Do you really think this thing's going to get to five movies? Now, I, I'm, um, and when I say five, let me, let me make sure that I couch this correctly and qualify my statement. Five truly successful movies, because it's James Cameron. Of course, they're going to give him the five movies. So, do you think that this has the legs to actually go five movies? Because I don't really know many people who have actually watched Avatar more than twice, ever. <laughs> I mean, I'm not joking. I've only seen the movie once. Yeah. I saw the movie in theater, and it's like, that's kind of like the double-edged sword. It's the catch-22 of Avatar. I The movie in and of itself is not all that spectacular of a story, but dear God, is it a visual masterpiece. It's just fucking amazing to look at. And when I saw it, it was IMAX, it was 3D, it was, it, you know, um, and, and I'm glad that I went and saw it in the theater. I didn't feel the need to see it again in the theater, and I sure as shit wasn't going to sit there and spend the money on buying it on DVD or Blu-ray or anything else, and I haven't seen it. So, I haven't seen it since. I don't feel like I'm missing anything. So, how, help me out, Tim. How does this get legs? How does this, how does this last for four more movies? 
You know, I, I don't know. I haven't seen the movie since I saw it for the second time at the theater. I saw it when during its uh, original release, IMAX 3D. But then they re-released it with like 25 minutes of extra footage. And I went back and saw it in 3D and the extended cut of it. And I, I still enjoyed it after the second time. Uh, it still hit me in the right spots. It, you know, it got me. So at that time, five years ago, six years ago... I was an Avatar fan, and I was geared up for an Avatar sequel. I'm still kind of geared up for an Avatar sequel. Anything that James Cameron touches or produces himself, I think it's it's worthy to, uh, you know, I, I think it's worth getting excited about. I think we'll know more or get a better taste, obviously, after Avatar 2 is already released and we both see it. But I'm actually kind of thinking of going back and rewatching Avatar this weekend just to see if my nostalgia for seeing that movie is still the same. Because what was so awesome about Avatar when it came out was that it was an IMAX movie, but it utilized 3D in such an interesting way. Because you got to keep in mind that really shitty Clash of the Titans movie came out just a couple years earlier. There weren't really too many fantastic 3D movies out there that aren't like conversion 3d or anything like that. So avatar on top of it being a James Cameron movie and on top of it being a visually stunning film was a 3d spectacle. Since then we have both of the star Wars movies, the newer star Wars movies looked great in 3d and in IMAX and a number of other movies like gardens of the galaxy was also 3d visual treat. So I think he really has to get, James Cameron really has to get the story down packed to where we want to come back and see these characters and revisit the the, the world for three or four more movies. So I, I guess it's really hard to be, for at least for me anyways, to be super opinionated. But that's, uh, you know, that's kind of a task. Five movies. Indeed. What do you got for us there, sir? Via the HollywoodReporter.com, Friday the 13th Reboot Shutdown exclusive. This year is written by, uh, not February 6th, ah, Boris Kitt. And it says this, Paramount has put the machete back in the sheath. With just less than six weeks to go before the start of principal photography, Paramount had shut down the latest iteration of Friday the 13th, multiple sources tell The Hollywood Reporter. The move occurs on the same day the studio updated the pick, which was to have opened October 13th. Platinum Dunes, the production company behind the film, and Breck Eisner, who was to have directed the movie, received word earlier in the day, according to multiple sources. The film was in pre-production and, while not cast, heading toward a production start in mid-March. The exact reason for the move is unclear, although one factor could be the poor performance of the studio's horror movie Rings. That pick, which, like Friday the 13th, was to have restarted a horror franchise, cost $25 million to make, but bowed to just $13 million over the weekend. Sources say that execs quickly began second-guessing Friday the 13th, believing it would have chased the same audience, although others pointed out that the project is on the opposite spectrum of the horror's scale. A source close to Friday the 13th would only say that, quote, the production was not ready to go at this date, end quote. The project is a reboot of the 1980s. Ah, we know what Friday the 13th is, so end all quotes there. 
Matt, what do you think about this? Paramount second-guessing themselves with uh, Rings performing poorly, given that Rings is a totally different movie. I think they very aptly saw the writing on the wall uh, with Rings and decided to head off any... uh, uh, mitigate any uh, future disaster that might have come. Um, Because as we saw with the disappointing performance in Evil Dead that remake which i'm sorry i thought was just a fucking phenomenal slasher movie um people for whatever reason pg-13 has fucking stuck in people's heads when it comes to fucking um uh, horror and so if you're not gonna do it right then don't do it at all and then compounded by the fact that with things like the conjuring uh, you know, you, you've got, um, oh, and, and what's not, what, what's the other one? The, the other big one, James Wan is uh, oh, insidious. insidious and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So with those that are PG 13 and are true thrillers, right? They're full thrill rides. They're there to scare you and, you know, psychological horror and stuff. Um, it's been proven that you don't have to have a slasher movie, um, anymore. So, when they keep trying to bring back and, and of course insidious and conjuring um, have spawned their own franchises and with whatever varying success you want to ascribe to it, they're still for the most part making money as franchises. When they did rings, um, it was clearly another sign from people saying quit with the fucking remakes already. That's, that's, I mean, and that's what's happened. Paramount saw that and said, just stop. There's no sense in throwing, um, you know, no sense in throwing the baby out with the bathwater. No more good money after bad. Just stop. And good on them for it. Next up, via Variety.com, Tony Dow to direct comedy about Star Wars fans called The Line Kings. This here is written by Dave McNary, and it says this. Tony Dow, best known for his role as Wally Cleaver on Leave It to Beaver, has come on board The Lion Kings, a feature comedy celebrating the endless enthusiasm of Star Wars fans. The Lion Kings is written and produced by Billy Ribak and Steve Rubin. Plans are to shoot in Los Angeles in late spring. The Lion Kings will focus on a group of rabid Star Wars fans who camp out for four days on Hollywood Boulevard in front of the iconic Chinese theater after Disney announces that the fans who are first in line after four days will win walk-on roles in the next film in the series, leading to a battle royale between two fan groups determined to be first. Dow has directed episodes of Harry and the Hendersons, Swamp Thing, Coach, Babylon 5, and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Brebeck worked for five seasons on ABC's Home Improvement, created the Fox series Ask Harriet, and wrote and produced seven seasons of The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Rubin served as executive producer on Showtime's comedy feature Bleacher Bums and Hallmark Channel's World War II drama Silent Night. End all quotes there. This is an interesting cadre of minds to bring us a Star Wars fan film movie about waiting in a line. I think the most surprising thing is is I didn't realize there was a TV show of Harry and the Hendersons. Uh, yeah, I mean... The television show for Harry and the Hendersons, I want to say it lasted like eight episodes or something like that. Really? 
Yeah, I'm gonna. You know what? I gotta look it up because now it's bothering me. Let's see here. Harry and the Henderson. There we go. Henderson's TV series. Yeah. Let's see here. Oh, geez, never mind. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Apparently, it went for three seasons and 72 episodes. Really? Who was in it? Yeah. Uh, well, let's see here. It says, Bruce Davidson and Molly Cheek played the parents, whereas in the film they were, they were portrayed by John Lithgow and Melinda Dillon. Let's see here. Kevin, okay, that's what it was. Kevin Peter Hall played the role of Harry in both the film and the TV series until his death late in the production of the first season. That's what had happened. Huh. But yeah, it says in the series, George and Nancy were an upwardly mobile uh, two-career couple with the former working for a sporting goods company. George eventually launched his own magazine, The Better Life, late in the second season. So what do you think of a Tony Dell directed comedy um okay i am a fan of tony dow i was this is what i was talking about before um he has uh he, he's done a lot of really cool fun stuff um and in the late 80s and early 90s he was also kind of featured in guest spots and doing crazy things and then of course they had the the, the short-lived revival of um leave it to beaver but um He's kind of like that crazy uncle, right? And I, and I mean, in a good way, fun, zippy. So I, and, and he clearly has some chops behind the, uh, behind the camera over the years and stuff as you were reading off of, you know, his CV. And, um, I, I don't know. I would see a movie that Tony Dow does. So if, uh, you know, once it, once it hits theaters, um, or however we can see it, I'm definitely down to see this movie. I, I, I got a lot of faith in the guy and, you know, having grown up with him, uh, watching Leave it to Beaver and syndication, plus seeing the stuff that he'd done in the eighties and stuff when I was watching TV and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all about it, I guess is the short answer. The Beave! Hey, Wally! <laughs> the beeve. The beeve is Jerry Powers. You know. Why not that? Oh, okay. All right. Well, let's see here. Um, I think we'll. You know what? I, I'm gonna tuck away. I'm gonna tuck away this other little fun one that I found for another for another week. Uh, so I'm gonna end my news with this from FlickeringMyth.com by way of Gary Collinson. Colin Farrell joins Denzel Washington in Inner City. Yes, that's right. Colin Farrell has signed on to star alongside Denzel Washington in the legal drama Inner City, which is being written and directed by Dan Gilroy of Nightcrawler fame. Uh, Variety reports that the film sees Washington as a, quote, hard-nosed liberal lawyer named Roman J. Israel, who's been fighting the good fight while others take the credit. When his partner has a heart attack, Israel suddenly takes on the role of the firm's front man. He soon uncovers details about the crusading law firm's history that run afoul of his values of helping the poor and dispossessed, and finds himself in an existential crisis that leads to extreme action. End quote. Yes, Farrell will apparently portray one of Israel's colleagues at the law firm. Uh, that is the bulk of this very brief article. Uh, but again, if you'd like to read it for yourself, you can do so at flickeringmyth.com. And that came to us again by way of Gary Collinson. 
Uh, Colin Farrell joins Denzel Washington in Inner City. What do you think, Tim? Does this sound like a good vehicle for Mr. Washington? I hope so. And are you excited to see uh, more Colin Farrell? Because the last time we saw him, uh, the last two outings I can think of were The Lobster and then uh, Fantastic Fantastic Beasts. Fantastic Weaves. Yeah. Does Inner City take place now or does it take place like in the 90s? Uh, You know, I... Uh, it doesn't say. Yeah, because that'd be kind of interesting, especially after watching OJ, Made in America, where they focus, I mean, obviously for the trial and whatnot, they focus on early 90s LA. So that'd be kind of interesting if it took place around that time, because you know a lot of crazy crap went on with law firms and you know helping mm-hmm. the poor and underprivileged and whatnot. So, yeah, it it sounds interesting. I mean, I like a good Denzel Washington movie. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well then, uh, like I said, that's my news, so what do you got? Cool. So the last two pieces of news are as follows. The first one here is from Gizmodo.com. IMDB kills its message boards and nothing of value was lost. This here is written by Brian Men- uh, Menegus. M-E-N-E-G-U-S. Minigus, Brian Minigus. And it says this, Whether you're trying to remember the name of that guy from The Thing, or just contrasting a score against Rotten Tomatoes to see if it's worth spending 15 goddamn dollars to see something in theaters, the Internet Movie Database is an indispensable consumer resource. There are many reasons IMDb has become an internet mainstay for the past decade, but the site's infamously ugly, useless forum posts aren't one of them. As the company announced in a post today, February 19th will be the last day users can post to the message boards or send private messages to each other. The decision, quote, was based on data and traffic, end quote, which, while obtruse, suggests no one was really using the feature enough to keep it alive. And while the IMDb statement makes no mention of this specific problem— Gizmodo can confirm that the majority of posts on the message boards are low-value crap that does little to enhance anyone's enjoyment of a film, show, or actor. We can come up with shitty opinions about things all on our own. Thank you very much. In memoriam, here are a few posts from the soon-to-be-deceased forum. Uh, And it's um, pretty funny. For The Lion King, their post title was Simba was a handsome, sexy... Was a Simba was a handsome and sexy lion. Just putting it out there, I know he's a lion, but regardless, especially during the Can You Feel the Love Tonight scene, Shawshank Redemption, is this true? <laughs> Interesting information here. Um, so what do you think about this, Matt? Is it a big deal that you can't quote on Fifty Shades Darker? You can't, you can't make any snarky comments on whatever Marlon or Damon Wayne's movie anymore well i mean just because you can't do it on imdb doesn't mean you can't do it so um it's just there's just one less avenue uh for the trolls to be fed that but they will they will congregate they'll soon be back and in greater numbers um but how about this delicious morsel for a schindler's list is it wrong to like this movie someone asked that doesn't make that doesn't even make sense like literally that movie that 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 or not that movie that that post I mean why would you feel bad about enjoying a powerful piece of cinema for the sake of its power 
you don't have to like the subject matter to think of it as a great what the fuck this is why it was taken out do you do you see oh my god okay you're pissing me off tim i i can't handle this level of stupidity uh at this late hour of the day been up since 7 a.m so you know well, if you want to get pissed off even more, do check out the Gizmodo.com article. <laughs> IMDb kills its message boards and nothing of value was lost. Uh, last up for me and the news in general, and for the news in general, via io9.com, the detailed, depressing reason Deep Space Nine and Voyager may never get full HD versions. This is written by James Whitbrook, and I know Deep Space Nine and Voyager, they're TV shows. But it's the process, it's the specifications that go into creating HD versions of these older shows that's just absolutely fascinating and and, and I think worth mentioning here on a movie podcast. Um, Again, the detailed depressing reason Deep Space Nine and Voyager may never get full HD versions, and it says this... Pretty much ever since the Blu-ray remasters of the original Star Trek series and The Next Generation were unveiled, fans have wondered when Deep Space Nine or Voyager would get a similar treatment. But according to Robert Meyer Burnett, who worked extensively on the HD re-releases of those series, the odds of such a thing ever happening are incredibly low. Speaking to Trek News in an incredibly lengthy interview, Burnett detailed the reasons why fully HD versions of Deep Space Nine and Voyager would be a Herculean task for CBS and Paramount to release. Basically, until recently, TV was shot on 35mm film, which is already high resolution. Too high resolution for the early days of television. The film footage was edited together, archived, and then shrunk down to the more manageable NTSC video resolution for broadcast. As such, the Blu-ray release for the older Trek series could use the original negative to create a full HD release relatively easily as each episode's film was already edited together. By the mid-1980s, video technology had advanced enough to the point that many TV shows, including Star Trek The Next Generation, were no longer editing the 35mm film footage, but scanning it into computers, transforming it into the lower TV-friendly resolution, and edited from there to save money. In TNG's case, The Next Generation's case, that helped make the visual effects work on the show easier, but it also meant that all the show's film was left in separate pieces. Essentially, for the HD release of Star Trek, all people had to do was scan each episode. For the next generation, they would have to scan all those original pieces of film and then edit together each episode again, themselves. It's more difficult, more expensive, and much more time-consuming. And you can read more of the article. It does go on for quite a bit more. Uh, The original article, though, is uh, on treknews.com, but what I just read from was via io9. The detailed, depressing reason Deep Space Nine and Voyager may never get full HD versions. I think this is absolutely fascinating. I mean, I've known that they've done this before. After seeing the original Star Trek, I was excited to go back and rewatch Next Generation, just to see how they were able to go back and enhance the color and enhance the picture and enhance the special effects. And they did a really good job. But I had no idea they had to go back and re-edit every single episode for this enhanced 
release in HD. Absolutely fantastic. Matt, I don't know if you're a big fan of Deep Space Nine or Voyager. I was actually never got into it at all. I know a lot of people love Deep Space Nine. If you are fans of those two shows or used to be fans of those two shows, would it be worth actually going through and re-editing every single episode for the fans? Well, I think for the fans that uh, that would enjoy it, of course. But I don't think that there are enough of them out there. Um, as the Voyager especially was very um, derisive, or divisive, and you you find that the that the bulk of people fall into two camps: they love it or they hate it. I am a love it. I love Star Trek Voyager, and honestly, it is the only Star Trek series that my wife has ever willingly watched. Like like, oh, Voyager's on. I'll sit down and watch it. None of the other ones. Nothing. Nothing. She'd be like, "Fucking Star Trek? Are you kidding me?" But not Voyager. So, I mean, for whatever that's worth. So, I can certainly understand um, why it would be, with being such a Herculean task. But um, I think that if they they could figure out a way to do it... um, Maybe put feelers out there and see if they see if they can crowdfund it or something like that. Um, but I don't know. Maybe they spent too much money on pointless lawsuits for fan-made films in the last year or two that um, <laughs> and squandered every opportunity for a 50th anniversary of everything when people would have really bought it. Um, and now they just can't do it because they're fucking stupid. And to be fair, also the next generation, the HD versions, didn't sell all too well. In fact, uh, when they were released, I forget, I already closed out the article, but I think it was hundreds of bucks per season, where now you can get it for relatively, like you can get the entire season for, or the entire series of the next generation for under a hundred bucks. So I guess you're right. It's just, it would just be too costly. Which is a bummer because I would like to, I would like to have it myself but you know that's just me now that it doesn't really matter anymore now that i don't care anymore i guess i would like to have it and eh, that's funny how that works anyway you can just have captain Catherine janeway in your dreams she'll always be there oh, that's right she can she can warp my borg anytime she wants anyway was that all your news sir that would be all the news all right. Well, then, as you know, due to our sheer number of films, uh, we are we have been foregoing our bonus segment. That's going to hold true for next week as well. So we will just get right to the movies, shall we, sir? Yes, we shall. And folks, here we go. It is time for the movies. <laughs> And due to uh, some timing uh, circumstances and mishaps, we have had to push 20th Century Women uh, from this week to next week. So that is not going to be covered. Um, but uh, we do have Passengers, Captain Fantastic, and OJ, Made in America, the like seven plus damn hour documentary on OJ and what race was like before OJ how it informed OJ as a human and the American uh, populace's perception of him as a football star and a celebrity. And then, of course, 
the infamous quote unquote trial of the century. Um, and it's aftermath. So those are the movies we have to talk about. What would you, where would you like to start, sir? How about passengers? I am a passenger. All right. Let's see here. 2016 passengers is a 2016 American science fiction adventure film. Um, I don't know really where the adventure's at, but, you know, it's certainly science fiction. Uh, it's directed by Morton Tildum, and it stars Jennifer Lawrence, Chris Pratt, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, and, um, like, for all of 30 seconds, Andy Garcia. Um, I, uh, um, oh, and Michael Sheen. I forgot Michael Sheen's in here, because he's the bartender guy. Um, alright, so, we've got this starship. It's, it's transporting 5,000 colonists from Earth to, you know, super far away. Um, they have to be in hibernation for, like, 200 years or something like that. And, uh, no, 120 years, sorry, 120 years. And poor Chris Pratt gets woken up by accident 90 years too early. Um, after spending a little over a year in isolation, he decides that he needs to, um, get himself a partner in crime, as it were. And so he decides, uh, to awaken Aurora Lane, uh, played by Jennifer Lawrence, who is a writer and, um, and, 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 uh, and, in a whole different class, literally, than poor old Jim, played by Chris Pratt. Um, meanwhile, so as they work together and everything, um, of course, Aurora doesn't know that Jim actually let her, he, he, he told her that it was a, you know, it was a, um, a malfunction. Her, her, hers malfunctioned as well. And the ship continues to go downhill. What will they do? How will they work things out? Can they ever? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. So, this movie um, is just really sadly slow. Um, it doesn't really do anything worthwhile. Um, and... And the reason why is because, um, I don't think that, I, I gotta be honest with you. Between, uh, between the producers, between the director and between the writer, um, I don't think anybody fully had, uh, respect for the audience they were going for. Um, and, and, and it's, and I don't think it was intentional. I think, Clearly, this wasn't like a Michael Bay money grab. Ha 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 ha. We're just here. No, I just don't think they fully respected their intended audience. Um, and so you have this kind of, um, sci-fi adventure, um, premise idea that's supposed to bring guys in and the younger crowd. Um, you have this heavy romantic aspect. Right. That's supposed to bring in the girls and the and also the other half of the younger crowd, the women folk in the younger crowd. And then you're supposed to have this kind of serious moral dilemma drama aspect to the movie that's designed to bring in the older folk. OK, so the thing is, is that um, when you go milk toast, 
you'll you might get a, you you might get the suckers to walk in the door, but you're not gonna get repeat business, and all you're gonna do is get people who get upset by it. Now, at the end of the day, it didn't really end up hurting anything because the movie made uh, damn near three hundred million dollars on a hundred and ten million dollar budget. There's not gonna be a sequel, um, but a movie like this doesn't need one. So, um. It just, the drama is lackluster. Um, the romance is literally, literally contrived. Um, the sci-fi is legitimate, um, but the adventure is non-existent. And so you're just kind of left with this piece that's all over the place, cool to look at it's well acted um but it's just it it barely comes together to make the sum of its parts let alone be more than the sum of its parts uh at the end of the day i give this one 2.75 out of 5 it's better than okay but i truly can't say that i liked it either what do you got there tim i'm surprised you gave it 2.75 out of 5 <laughs> um i haven't watched a laugh out loud funny movie in quite some time at the movie theater and uh you know passengers proved to be that kind of movie luckily uh so we went to go see this movie i took my significant other uh mainly forced her to go see it she had no desire to watch it uh but she just happened to be in the car with me and we were out getting drinks and eating and i just realized you know what i still got to see this movie and that's showing right over here for pretty cheap Let's go check it out. And so we did that. And within the first five minutes, she fell asleep. <laughs> and in every maybe 15 minutes or so, she'll just wake up laughing her ass off at whatever is going on on the screen. First, it was the revelation that the young writer's name is Aurora like in Sleeping Beauty, Prince Charming, played by Chris Pratt, wakes up his princess. They all fall in love, and everything turns out okay, not just for them, but the entire kingdom that they magically preserve together. And like I said, she plays a writer, and she is the most writeriest writer. Her whole demeanor, how she talks, how she speaks. And yet, I've never seen a writer that sexy. Uh, and, and so like, it was just crazy. Like every time she had to act like her character, she had to act like her character. It's like, kind of like what Matt was saying, or very much like what Matt was saying. They're just trying to cram everything down our throats. The romance, the, the happy-go-lucky kind of comedy, all these story elements that's supposed to make you at the end of the movie go, oh, well, that's sweet. Oh, well, that's cute. Oh, I kind of have a tear going down my face because it turns out that the, the the tree that they planted in the middle of this mall area, this commons area, by the time people wake up a hundred years later, it's now this big, beautiful tree and this lush, foresty landscape all around. But then I kind of wonder, like, where did the roots go? Why didn't the tree, like, bust through the ship and inadvertently kill everybody on the ship? I, I don't like it. It seemed very implausible that I, it would it would be a good idea to plant a huge ass tree in the middle of a commons area surrounded by glass. 
So it was kind of a lot of stuff like that I got hung up on. Her name, her profession, and this goddamn tree at the end of the fucking movie. I just couldn't get past it, even though it was at the end of the movie and I had to leave the theater. So throughout the movie, the significant other keeps waking up and laughing at the relationship, laughing at the corny dialogue, laughing at the issue that was happening. It just so happens he's an engineer, so he can, like, fix things on his own. It turns out Lawrence Fishburne's, spoiler alert, wakes up also and only wakes up just to help them out. Like, it's it's such an obvious story element they don't even hide it so it's just all this laughable no chemistry cheeseball dialogue and i had to deal with my significant other laughing during uh, all of like the courtship scenes in particular as well yeah i i can go on more 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 i can go on more but i probably shouldn't the movie is nominated for two oscars i think just two sound mixing i believe and production design the production design is actually quite beautiful um how the movie was shot was quite beautiful um i did like michael sheen and his robot bartender character i thought that was pretty cheeky and kind of fun but you know the the movie it relied on the technical aspects it should have been more of a sci-fi movie it starts off okay but then it crash and burns into love story territory like lifetime movie love story territory and it just does not work it keeps butting up against the sci-fi so neither aspect flourishes so because i thought it was pretty to look at i'm giving it a two out of five the movie means well but it is just not good two out of five for me Fair enough. Oh, and it was nominated for Best Original Score and Best Production Design. Sure. Those are I'll, the, I'll give it that, those too. Are the, <laughs> those, are, those are the uh, nominations there. And for the record, my dad and I were actually interested in seeing this movie. We went and saw it uh, either Christmas Day or the day after Christmas. So I think the day after Christmas. So we were both glad that we put our one space we, we have a one seat buffer between the two of us and um after that movie was over we were glad that we had that buffer seat you know because you were crying the whole time yes 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 that's exactly it so captain fantastic or oj made in america where do you want to turn to? let's do a captain fantastic captain fantastic all right 2016 american dramedy film written and directed by matt ross starring vigo mortensen his vigo um all right so <laughs> i want to watch ghostbusters too now uh, <laughs> can you please do that again that was hilarious <laughs> here's vigo uh, so <laughs> Third time's a charm. Uh, uh. <clears throat> Here's Vigo. All right. Um. <laughs> oh, something tells me this is going to be the intro to the show. So uh, the uh, a little stinger at the beginning. Anyway. All right. So uh, it's about a guy, uh, Ben Cash. Right, and his his wife and family uh, live out in the wilderness of Washington. They are, uh, you know, basically whenever you think of 
free love hippie granola motherfuckers this is who they're talking about like straight up who they're talking about um they they more or less live off the land um they believe in fitness and working together and um classic truly ultra liberal education through books and study and self-reliance and all that kind of stuff um, unfortunately for Ben, his wife Leslie, uh, ends up hospitalized and, uh, she actually passes away. Now, um, her, her father especially is, uh, has never, never been a big fan of Ben especially, but their lifestyle overall. And, um, literally even forbids Ben to come to the funeral, uh, even though there's not technically supposed to be a funeral. As Leslie wanted to be cremated. So we now have this dilemma. Does Ben uh, take the kids and honor the wishes of his wife? Or does Ben, you know, kind of protect his family? Well, in uh, Little Miss Sunshine fashion, they go off into the sunset to go and, you know, do their thing. And along the way, they meet the family and learn about life and have random marriage proposals and, uh, you know, basically learn both the triumphs and the tragedy of the lifestyle, of the quote-unquote idyllic lifestyle that they had lived. Now, um, and then from there, like I say, shenanigans ensue. That's my favorite phrase, you know. Um, movie goes on. Now, this is a decent movie. It really is. But, I mean, it is, it is just so completely cliched. It is cliched to death. And yet, I love Frank Langella. I do. Uh, he is one of, he, he is, one of the consummate character actors that um and mainly because it's the same character <laughs> he almost always plays the same character um but i love it i love it anyway uh, and then we have then we have vigo um he is the linchpin of this whole picture and there's a reason why he was nominated for best actor but i feel it falls into similar category uh into a, into a similar category as um michael fassbender uh with steve jobs in that the rest of the people in the movie are clearly outclassed they're just they're just outclassed it's not that they're poor actors or actresses they're just so goddamn outclassed that the, that, that Mortensen looks just ten times better by comparison, and it makes it easier for the role in and of itself to be a standout role, one that you go, holy shit, we should get him an award. You know, that's, that's award-worthy material. Um, I gotta be honest with you, I don't feel it is. I don't feel it is. I don't think it's anything against it, and please don't misunderstand. This is not a knock against Viggo Mortensen or his acting ability, because he is fucking phenomenal. And like I said, he's the linchpin of this movie. But the movie itself is too sappy, too overdone, uh, and uh, too, and, and literally just too much of every cliche you've seen before to really make a dent. But you still like it you still like it. So we go 3.5 out of 5. What do you got there, Tim? 
You know, I'd be absolutely frightened of my father if I saw his Vigo Mortensen-sized bell tower schlong uh, on the daily, which I'm sure those kids saw. Oof. He has a long one, dude. Like, that affected me more than the story itself. Did, did, did you take your significant other to, the, to see this as well? <laughs> I I did, but it, but it's like, how, or or did you or did you remember what was in the movie and go, nope, nope, never mind, never mind. She must never know. She must never know. No, we, uh, we both went, went and saw this last. I think it was July when it first came out out here, and um, we were either going to go see this movie or go see the Hunt for the Wilder People, which is the Sam Neill movie takes place in New Zealand, and, and so we thought, well, you know, th- this movie looked like a great film. It's been getting pretty good reviews, and we both love Viggo Mortensen as an actor. So we opted out to see this one. And after we saw this movie, we realized we made a mistake and should have went to see uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. Because I'm not—I mean, it's, I'm not saying that Captain Fa- Captain Fantastic is a bad movie, or that you will be scarred for life after seeing Viggo Mortensen's Viggo. But I—I I just don't like his character. I don't agree with his values and outlook on life. Like, everybody seems so unrealistic. Like, all the kids, and there's like six kids, I think, right? Like, five, six kids. And all those kids has their, like, lost boy personality. You know, like, in Neverland, those lost boys, like, they all had their little niche. One of them is really good at a bow and arrow. The other one is really good at making stuff. The older boy has never had sex with a girl, so he's, like, horny and charming and trying to woo this other girl. And then then there's the daughter who's dealing with this stuff. And I I just really didn't buy it. Like, it was a little too characterized. I would have rather have seen something grounded more in reality. And also the pacing was pretty slow. I, I didn't care for the pacing all too much. And Viggo Mortensen is the is the main draw you know, for this movie. He's great. He looks good in the costumes. Uh, I can't necessarily say that when he's out of his costume, but, you know, he, he plays an interesting character, but I just didn't really give a shit about him. Maybe it's because I need to see it again, but I just didn't care about his cause, or don't care about his cause. And it really hinges on your outlook on him. You're really, you're supposed to root for him. And I I just couldn't tell if if that was the case, or maybe the movie was trying to open up your eyes a little bit. And and by the end of the movie, you have the realization that, yeah, they should stay with his kids. I, I don't know if I'm making sense or not. It's a very conflicting movie, but it's still a good movie. Despite everything that I, I said, I do give it a 3.5 out of 5 as well. Again, go and see it for Vigo Mortensen's performance. The overall story is blah, and characterizations are blah, blah. So is that what you call it now? It's a 13-inch it's performance? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, look, it's, it's the show title now, too. We got Viggo <laughs> Morton's 13-inch performance. <laughs> and that that was truly <laughs> what was fantastic about the movie. It, that was his Captain uh, Fantastic. That's that's what he named it. We named it Captain Fantastic. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then there's the whole, like, 45-minute uh, him and his penis montage where he's just talking, like, at the end when he gives the kids away finally and... 
he dresses it up, puts it, puts a little hat on top of it, and it's it's it becomes a buddy road movie. <laughs> they both have matching sombreros. <laughs> the funny thing is, is that they're both the like same a size. You know, <clears throat> yeah, he's 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 hung like a four year old. You know, it, yeah, it's it's about waist high. Puts in suspenders and a hat. Walks around with it sometimes. You know. <sighs> anyway, all right. <laughs> now that we've definitely killed this, but. <laughs> Time for OJ. <laughs> Time. <laughs> Definitely killed this. Time for OJ. Perfect. Yeah. There we go. Now, I would like to note, um, the People versus OJ is actually, it is, is the, um, uh, was it a miniseries? I don't even remember. Uh, yeah, but it's on kinda. Netflix. So after, after watching this, I kind of want to see the, I want to see the drama, the dramatization, you know. Um, that ought to be kind of surreal, but, um, all right. So OJ made in America, 2016 American five part documentary series produced and directed by Ezra Eldman for ESPN films and their 30 for 30 series. Now this basically is looking, um, this movie or the, the series, the documentary in its entirety, I, I, I've been going back and forth with Tim on this. It turns out it's almost eight hours. It's well over seven hours. I thought it was like six. At first, I thought it was 540. And I'm like, wait a minute. Hang on. We were adding up the time again. I was like, oh, maybe it's like six hours and 42 minutes. Nope. Over seven hours. Tim had it. It's way over seven hours. It's such a long thing. Anyway. All right. So, um. This, the, the documentary series takes a look at race and class in America, okay? And it uses OJ as a backdrop. Now, um, it's not trying to glorify or demonize OJ per se, but it does show what led into the culture that created the celebrity of OJ, what went on behind the scenes as America transformed and used OJ's celebrity as kind of its own uh, poultice, if you will, uh, to kind of lick the wounds of racism. And then when we get, and then of course, all of this comes crashing down with the trial of the century that is, oj's murder trial um and uh interestingly enough it's only the last episode that really deals with anything beyond that um now this is it, it it's such a really so powerful so so powerful so powerful um because this one this movie literally doesn't flinch from anything it says, this is what we were looking at in the 60s. This is what became of race in America in the 70s. This is how, this is how it came to pass that we could have someone who could be so beloved in the public eye, but at the same time be so, uh, be so complicated be so complex in the background. This is a guy who had no problems cheating on his wife, but was a diehard loyal to his friends, you know, to his teammates. This is a guy um, who 
purposely shied away from race, not necessarily because he was trying to unify, but because he knew how to work a crowd. And what does that say, right? Um, but at the same time, it also ignores uh, the, 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 I don't know that it purposely ignores, but um, it doesn't face the hard truths behind, like, OJ's abuse of Nicole, right? Um, it acknowledges it. Okay, it doesn't try and it doesn't try and um, gloss over it by any stretch of the imagination, but it doesn't really focus on the societal impact of that um, against someone who was just so likable that you didn't want to believe it. Um, and then when we contrast what happened with his trial versus what had been going on prior with things like Rodney King, um, and 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 it. And, but it also doesn't, it's also not afraid to explore things, uh, sidetracks like Rodney King, where you have, um, the, you had the riot, the LA riots and everything because of the King verdict and everything. But at the same time, you also come to find out, uh, why the verdicts came through. It wasn't, it wasn't as, you know, uh, oh, the, the cops and the prosecutors and the judges all have to work together to keep the cops on the streets. There was a lot more that went into that than just the, you know, two and a half minute video everybody got to see on the news. So it was, it juxtaposes these things fairly well. Um, unfortunately, like I said, it does kind of, it does that at the expense of other things, but I, I think I, I mean the the movie the 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 documentary series is already seven plus hours long. How much longer did you need it to be? So, um, it, you know, you got to kind of take what you can get from what you're working with. Um, and then of course we have the last piece, which is of course what happens after the trial. We you know there's extensive co trial coverage, um, and there's some notable people who are missing from it. Yes, some of the people have passed away, but there's a there, there are some people from the actual case themselves who are still alive that. It's kind of surprising that they weren't there, but uh, it, it is what it is. And then uh, finally we have the aftermath. And the aftermath, um, it's, I mean, it's it's a fucking circus. It's a fucking circus, man. Um, and, and that's where you end up. You know, you end up with the end of the circus ride. And so you you see how race took this one man who who's uh, i mean don't get me wrong this guy was clearly talented oj simpson one of the greatest running backs in the history of the nfl hands down and still is even today still is one of the greatest um that that played the game and yet you can see how race created him and how race kind of destroyed him but at the same time you can see what he did to himself um, and it's just, it's ridiculously powerful. Now, the only thing that I have against this movie, and Tim, I'm, you'll be pleased to know I have decided to not, to not be a dickhead. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> the only drawback to this movie is, or to the series, is it's so fucking long. It really is long, seriously. I mean, 
seven hours. Each episode is an, damn near an hour and 40. Okay. So, and, and they set it up so that you're wanting to watch the next episode. I mean, you know, they don't just go and next time you're just like, Oh shit, let's, you know, as I'm sure Tim will attest because that some, you know, um, so it's just, it, it is so incredibly long. Um, it's, it's not boring, but you have to kind of wonder, um, like for example, with the abuse, um, could they have cut back in some other areas to have opened up more about that? Um, and, and, and had they done so, could they have tied that aspect of it to, um, to different aspects and views on race in America? Um, could they could they have had more uh, a more feminine uh viewpoint presented throughout um throughout the throughout the documentary not not that there weren't any women or anything like that but um when you're dealing with race when you're dealing with people and especially when you see how the, the trial explodes and stuff and how people view it and what people are thinking could we have had more of a, of a viewpoint going into that or coming out of that? Um, so you have to kind of wonder, was it the best use of the time? A little bit. And I was really nitpicking on it, but damn, the movie is so fucking good uh, that I just, I, I felt I had to ask Tim. I said, am I being a dickhead? So I've decided to not be a dickhead. I was going to do 4.75, but I'm not going to be a dickhead. Five stars, as far as I'm concerned, until we get to... Um, I am not your Negro. Um, this is the documentary for me. This is the one I want to win. So um, five stars. What do you got there, Tim? Bring us home. It's a it's a phenomenal documentary. If I had the time in the day to watch all seven hours in one sitting, I totally could. I mean, shit, three hours goes by so fast. And believe it or not, there's a lot of information that they really didn't cover. I think I also would be afraid that if they altered the editing or altered the way that they told the story, I, I just worried that it wouldn't have the same impact as it clearly does. Like, you go into this movie, at least the first the first half of it, or the first part of it, so the first three hours, with a better understanding of OJ. And I'm not going to lie, man, like, I didn't know too, I mean, I mean, I knew plenty about the trial. I was a kid when the trial was going on, but of course, later on, I uh, read up more about it, but I didn't know too much about OJ himself. So the first three hours I'm watching this, and they're like, God, man, they're painting this wonderful picture of OJ, this all-American black sports hero. I can't see, possibly see how he could have committed such a horrible murder, and then then in the next three hours, the murder actually takes place and you see what happened to this poor girl. And then as the crime is unveiled to the viewer, slowly the onion begins to peel back and you start hearing these stories from friends and work coworkers and whatnot who have witnessed him being abusive, who've witnessed him lashing out, who have witnessed that OJ switch that apparently he was infamous for within his circle of friends or non-friends as well. So it's just absolutely fascinating to be on his side 
again, I'm a little naive of the whole situation. So this was my first like foray, like balls deep into it. So I was a little naive at first, you know, so I was kind of, I wouldn't necessarily, I was on his side, but I was definitely open to it. But then later on, man, I was not open whatsoever. So it was just absolutely fascinating hearing all the different sides and in depth, getting a taste of where they are actually coming from and why certain people were for him and why people were not for him. It just absolutely fascinating. It definitely raises a lot of questions. It is definitely a conversation piece and it's bound to entertain the hell out of you. And I'm not talking about like Star Wars entertainment, but it's a very knowledgeable documentary and I was just I'm entertained by stuff like this. It's it's fantastic. But it's different kind of entertainment, of course. Uh, so five out of five for me. Do check it out. It's on Hulu. Uh, it's going to be on VOD soon, I'm sure. you got to check this out. Five. Right on. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of the movies for this week. Next week's movies are going to be 20th Century Women, Tana, Fire at Sea, and you knew it was coming, motherfuckers. But here it is. John Wick, Chapter 2. So excited. So excited. Uh, so those are the movies for next week. And I believe without further ado, it is time for the spiel, is it not, sir? Spiel on! Alright, well the music you've been listening to as always has been brought to us by our music partners Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com both slash Cries of Solace. As for us we are of course the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLScast.com You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me, this is Matt on Twitter at Nitwit12345 You can also climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio, as well as follow us on the old SoundCloud. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Frank Langella, I get to say this. The best kind of kinky sex is to have kinky sex with your wife or husband, the person you love. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>